Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Monthly Movie News. Did you all have a wonderful December? Well, we're about a week into January, so we hope you did. And hopefully your prospects for 2020 are looking good, because boy, do we have an episode for you. I'm your host, Melvin, and in this episode, Daniel and I take you on the journey of recording so late we missed all the actual news and actually just covering controversial stuff because it's both interesting and buzzworthy. Yep, you heard that right. Things got a little busy during the end of December, as they do, and perhaps the best idea would have been to push this off until the end of January. But we love you guys and we love what we're doing, so here we are. We're ready to talk to you about some rumored behind-the-scenes info on the latest Star Wars release, and a particularly inflammatory Netflix special that contains a blasphemous depiction of Jesus Christ, and why we find that offensive, as well as some other things. Now, something real quick I want to mention before the episode begins is something I realized we never brought up during our rumor discussion, and that's validation. Rumors are rumors are rumors, and you can't really trust them. They're really just fun to read about and speculate, as they help fill in gaps of information, but there are ways to validate them, and with these Star Wars rumors, I wanted to briefly mention one way this is possible. In this episode, we talk about a series of rumors that leaked about the production of Star Wars, and during that leak is a description of an opening scene, as well as a later scene in the film, being much longer than its theatrical cut. This isn't just a, here's what you missed kind of thing. This is the leaker saying to you, if these scenes show up in a Blu-ray or extra feature on the home release, you can trust everything else in this leak. Now, you can never really trust a leak because the only real way is if someone big like J.J. Abrams broke an NDA and came out to share his experience, apart from also damaging his career. As such, it's mostly just fun speculation. But I thought mentioning this might be helpful as to why leaks can be important and how they can be validated. Now, with that out of the way, I wanted to also mention that about an hour into this discussion, Daniel and I start to talk some serious stuff regarding a brief one-second scene at the end of The Rise of Skywalker and that aforementioned inflammatory Netflix special. This discussion, while we approach it peaceably and respectfully, is still something we should have a content warning for, so there you go. Again, that discussion happens about an hour into this episode and continues to the end, so if you want to be wary about what you're hearing or who's hearing the discussion, such as your kids, then we wanted to let you know ahead of time. Now, if you've come to enjoy Cinematic Doctrine, don't be afraid to get connected with us on social media, such as our Facebook page, which is constantly active, sharing funny movie-related posts and news, as well as our Facebook group, which is a great way to get connected with other movie fans with a like-minded worldview. All of this can be accessed from the Cinematic Doctrine website, which is cindoc.com, C-I-N-D-O-C.com. You can also support the show on Patreon for as little as $3 a month and have influence on what sort of movies I review at the end of each month. If you'd like to support the show and save some money at the same time, consider leaving us a review on your respective podcast app. Or if you don't want to do either of those things, that's fine too. We're just glad you're here. If you'd like to follow Daniel on Twitter, you can find him at TomRonda1, that's an H after the R. This will all be available in the show notes. Anyways, I think it's about time we get started. So, here's Daniel making excuses as to why we recorded so late. For the record, I don't want people to think I'm lazy or something. I was kind of preparing stories and things for this episode, but the more I got pushed back, the more those stories were 
I know we're not like nightly news, so things are not like we don't have like breaking stories and scoops and stuff. But like even by the standards of this podcast, they're starting to become outdated. And so we sort of settled on just focusing on, well, pretty much the only few things people are talking about, namely Star Wars, because man, oh man, do people love talking about Star Wars and man is Star Wars just never going to go away. So that's kind of where we're at. Uh, speaking of, speaking of which, Melvin, I know you have not finished The Mandalorian, but how do you like it so far? I enjoy the aesthetic that it's going for. I think it's cool that it's basically like a like a sci-fi western. I think a lot of people have wanted that just in general for like pretty much any any sort of media to do. But for Star Wars to do that, that's especially cool because now we get to sort of explore the the universe of Star Wars. Because in reality, like. I don't think people particularly love Star Wars movies. I think they just love Star Wars, the universe of it all, because there have been more bad Star Wars movies than good ones. So and I'm I'm including all the Ewok movies. I'm including all of that. Like that's there have been more bad Star Wars movies than good ones. Um, And so I think people have just wanted to explore the universe. And so to have a show that's basically just a lone gunman going around and like has like a main story, but mostly is just meeting new people. Like that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think it's wild that they knew when the show is coming out and there was zero baby Yoda merchandise ready for Christmas. That just absolutely blows my mind. Especially when you consider that this is the Disney star Wars where in lead up to all the star Wars movies, there was tons of merchandise and toys for like, the Knights of Ren, Captain Phasma, like characters that are on screen for 15 minutes. And then there's just no baby Yoda anything. Like, I don't know who's in charge of that, but they messed up bad. <laughs> like, and, and you want to know how they're kind of like, like covering that up. Like they're basically saying like, Oh, we didn't want to have the toys come out. Cause then it would leak and it would spoil it. But the, but baby Yoda's in the first episode, <laughs> you have eight episodes it's not a spoiler to introduce like, yeah, we have a toy for a cute little baby Yoda thing. Like if people saw it, nobody would have really like guessed like, oh, he's going to be a pivotal thing for the show. Like Porgs, they made Porg toys and nobody cares about Porgs first off and nobody expected it to be pivotal. And guess what? It wasn't. So like they would have seen baby Yoda and just gone, that's cute and buy it. But then the show would come out and you'd go, oh, he's really important. Also, he's adorable. <laughs> then they would have bought it. I'm going to halfway disagree with you on this. I had the experience of watching the show with no, like nothing was spoiled for me. I saw it the night it came out. And the moment I saw that cute, adorable little, little Yoda, I just lost it. I was just like, this is it. This is the thing. Like, this is genius. Everyone's going to love it. And my instinct was correct. So like the story is apparently this was Donald Glover's idea. John, John Favreau, and I don't know if I pronounced his name correctly, states that he was directing, you know, was working on Lion King, uh, directing, quote unquote. So I'm sure it was just him in front of a green screen. And uh, like he mentions he was talking to Don Glover and Don Glover, who just keeps getting progressively weirder and weirder, which I say that as someone who's been a fan of him since he's making YouTube videos. But he was apparently going like, you know what people love? They love surprises, man. They love that Beyonce album that no one was expecting. And so John Fabio said, like, yeah, so Donald Glover was like talking about like people love to be surprised. So I decided that Baby Yoda was gonna be a surprise. So I get that the argument, like, oh, if we had like, yeah, things would get leaked if we had merchandise for it, but there's still ways around that. Yeah, like they, they could have just made it like they could have made it in-house. <laughs> Bob Iger in his office just stitching dolls <laughs> together. 
<laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. But like, yeah, like what? Why didn't they have like they they had definitely had a means to 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 do it, and why they didn't do it, I have no idea. Yeah, I'm just bitter because I couldn't get my wife a baby out of thing. I had to go on Etsy like everyone else did, and I bought like a few like unlicensed baby Yoda merchandise from some someone in Oregon who's just doing things in their garage. So I mean still happy Christmas, but I don't know. I'm just shocked at that. But conversely, compared to how you feel about the Mandalorian, which for the record I loved, um uh, just because I'm sure people will ask. I'm gathering from your review with Force Awakens that you weren't a huge fan of that. I mean the Rise of Skywalker. Jeez. Yeah, I it wasn't good. Uh my wife fell asleep. She doesn't remember. I mean, she does obviously because she fell asleep. She doesn't know what happened at the end of the movie. And when I told her, she was like, this is dumb. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I I, before I change the title of the episode to let's talk about idol worship, because when I title each episode, I sort of come up with a title either in the middle of writing the script or towards the end, because then I like, you know, the title feeds what you can expect. I had it titled as Disney's Justice League. And the more we're finding out about the movie, the more that is turning out to be true. We'll get into that. Yeah, it's just like a it's just a mess of a movie. Yeah, we'll definitely dig into that. I mean, it's all rumor stuff, but it's still interesting. But like the film, it's just a mess. There's a whole thing about Martin Scorsese calling Marvel films like theme park rides. Star Wars, like at least this one really did kind of feel like that, where it's just it felt like I just got sat in a seat and then a bunch of things got flashed at me. And I was like, well, that was fun. That's an Abrams film. Yeah. And then yeah, <laughs> it sure was. And then I just kind of got out of my seat and went home and didn't think about it. I had, I just had such a strange feeling believing that movie where I saw it, I saw it open night and it was just one of those things of like, like you said, people love star Wars. I don't know if they necessarily love star Wars movies, but at the same time, like that was the best example of a movie that was made just at a complete loss of what to do. And I think it's partially because Star Wars is in this Star Wars is in this very strange place where it is simultaneously a widely beloved franchise that needs to make everyone happy and also completely beholden to a niche audience who have very specific ideas of what they want for a movie. And that's just impossible to do anything with, I feel like, especially when so much money is on the line here. But I mean, there is a certain level of quality of Star Wars that you always get, like there sure were lasers in space and people had space swords and things blew up and there were spaceships. So it's like that kind of thing is always going to sell. It's just when you look at something like the Mandalorian, it's clear that this could be so much more, but like, because it definitely feels like Disney's set a place where it's just like, okay, we need to make a movie that crosses every possible barrier, like religion, language, culture, everyone needs to be able to see this movie. But there's also very vocal groups on the internet that are upset that like such and such character isn't related to such and such other character. Or there's all these deep lore things that people want and people are upset that we didn't use the Thrawn trilogy or whatever. So like they're just like at a loss at what to do, it feels like. So I don't know. Like I I found the fact it was a mess so fascinating in that way while also being completely bored by everything about it. I don't think I hated it, but I also have no feelings of pot. Like I didn't get anything out of me. Like I just sat there aware of the fact a movie was playing and then just went home. (laughs) I don't know. I felt so numb. Yeah. And I didn't find the film like offensive. And that's when it becomes something that I hate. Like if I was offended by what was happening in the film, which I just wasn't like I was bored. Like (laughs) I remember before walking into the theater, I said to Kat, 
this is just going to be it chapter two. I'm telling you, it's going to be it chapter two. It's going to miss all of the nuance of what makes something like actually a good story. And we're going to both be bored. And then we're going to walk out. We're going to say it was overly long. And that was literally what happened. <laughs> like It was just, it didn't really kind of, it didn't really do much. It was boring. Uh, things were happening. Yes, things happened. Just like it chapter two, things happened. But it was overly long and boring. And I think like, it's a movie that's simultaneously bloated with too much happening, but incomplete and needed more to convince me that what was happening wasn't bloated. I don't know if that makes any sense, but like things would just happen and you didn't like you didn't have anything that would feed into it. The only thing that happened and fed into something else was like Ray could heal something. And I was like the second it was happening because it was so stupid. I was like, OK, that's just going to come back. Like that was it. That's all <laughs> it said was this is just going to show up again. Like there was no other purpose for it to happen. Everything else that took place though, would be like something would happen. Like Finn, everybody's talking about what was Finn supposed to say when they were falling into the sand, they all thought they were going to die. And she says, or, or he says, I have to tell you something. And then like it happens and everybody has different ideas of what the film was trying to say, which by the way, look, you can't talk about this without talking about spoilers, which, but th th they're not spoiling anything because they're not actually in the movie. <laughs> Abrams said like Finn was supposed to say, I'm a force user. I think I'm force sensitive, but everybody's going, oh, was Finn going to say like, I love you? Or was Finn going to say like something else? And then but like- that doesn't even come up in the movie though. Right. All we get is that like Finn, right, right. You're right. He doesn't use the force though. That's why this is like a Justice League thing because there is some sort of Abrams cut that exists. And like, that's what the rumors we'll talk about in, in a minute that kind of get into. But like, there is a version of this film that exists that fills in all of these gaps that make more sense. But the film we get, is this is this thing where things just sort of happen you get all of these pieces of threads that were supposed to be there and then when those things are taken out you have to think like well if this was an entire storyline or subplot i have to take out every scene that mentions the subplot but then when you have a scene where characters are falling into into quicksand and one of the other characters no matter what take you did had him say ray ray i need to tell you something and then they fall in now you have to have that happen even though something else was happening and then that thing's never going to be fulfilled. I mean, it just doesn't work. And it definitely doesn't work with an Abrams style film because Abrams is not a particularly good writer, but he's a good director and able to do multiple things at once. I mean, you watch the force awakens and you realize there are like six different things happening at once. And that's what makes the movie flow. Well, it's a, it's not a particularly good movie, at least in my perspective, because I want things to slow down and Abrams doesn't really know how to slow down. But that's Abrams's quality is he can keep going at a fast pace and you still get information. And the problem is when you start to chip that away, you start to have these bits and pieces of information. Picture it like data that's being transferred to you, but like a piece is missing. So now you're like you're playing a video game, but like textures are not there. Weapons are not there, but there's still dialogue making mentions of this. That's what this movie felt like. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I, I've never been a particularly big fan of J.J. Abrams. I like Super 8 and I like his first Star Trek movie. And then after that, J.J. Abrams is kind of flat for me for the reasons that you've mentioned. I think he's all, a lot of flash, not a lot of steak. No, no, the, the term is a lot of sizzle, not a lot of steak, whatever. Here's my thing with Star Wars. And here's why I kind of liked J.J. Abrams a lot as the idea and the idea of J.J. Abrams being the guy in front of Star Wars. Star Wars has always been a franchise that makes a lot of emotional sense. 
where big things happen and they make sense in the moment because it's emotionally satisfying where you get that great moment where the heroic character insert them here overcomes the evil guy because they need to in that moment and it's because they have more force power at that moment like that's just how what star wars is um it is and it's it's on display here where there's a scene i mean spoilers for the movie but there's a scene where a character overcomes an evil character because at that moment all of the power is within them even though a second ago that same evil character is able to literally destroy every single spaceship in the sky now they are losing to one person because they're stronger than them because the force and like the force is just a giant plot hole in that way and that's how star wars has always been but since the first Star Wars movies come out, so many people have invested so much of their time and money and life into Star Wars, and suddenly there's all these deep lore, there's all these books, there's comics, there's video games, there's cartoons, where now Star Wars has become this big bloated thing with this like a lot of characters and there's politics and there's backstory, where it can't be this thing that just makes sense purely in like a whiz-bang fun level, where Star Wars is fundamentally for children. Like we don't like thinking about it, but that's what Star Wars is. It's just a big fairy tale in space where people have magic powers and they have great grand destinies and the hero wins in the end, no matter what, that kind of stuff. Or now Star Wars is beholden to all of everyone's fan theories on Reddit. And now it has to all come together and make complete cohesive sense or people get mad. And it's just Star Wars can never win now. It can never fulfill everyone's fan fiction. It can never make complete sense because it's never made sense. And now you need to make a cohesive story for movie because now everyone has a movie podcast and everyone can pick apart your movie and point out the plot holes where Rogue One almost exists entirely to fill in plot holes from the very first Star Wars movie, you know? And so now it's just impossible where suddenly we're sitting here and we're like, wait, if Ray has a, if there's a dagger that Sith's made that's supposed to tell them where this last item is, how would they know that item would be there in the first place? Because it's in a ship that got shot down. And then how is a dagger supposed to line up with the wreckage of a ship that didn't fall down from the sky until like thousands of years after they made the dagger? And why would they make a dagger? Like suddenly just all these pieces don't start coming together where it's just like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. So that's that's my feelings of Star Wars. It's never made sense. It's never going to make sense. I do think it's a little stupid that everyone is kind of now retroactively pretending that the prequels are great. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> like, they're not. They are so... The prequels are good for a drinking game. Responsibly drinking game. I mean, it's <laughs> just like, there is. they are not good. Like, Revenge of the Sith, I enjoy. It's, like, actually watchable. But, like... <laughs> episode one is boring it's so and episode boring two is embarrassing it's like <laughs> everyone is upset at the last jedi because it ruins luke skywalker really that movie ruins luke skywalker but episode two doesn't ruin yoda all of the prequels don't ruin all the jedi because they're horrible really episode one doesn't ruin the very concept of the force because no longer is it this magical space magic that just can fall upon anyone to mean that any regular old person can become good and overthrow evil no it's like bacteria in your dna or whatever <laughs> like the best star wars movie is whatever movie you saw when you were 15 that's the best star wars movie that's why so many people from our generation love revenge of the sith that's why so many other people love the movies that came out in theaters when they were a kid and that's why in 10 years there's going to be all these listicles and articles talking about how we're episode nine like what was the sequel trilogy really that bad and it's going to keep going until we're all dead because again it's a space fairy tale that makes sense on an emotional level and inspires you as a child 
where you look at that and you know that's part of why like i don't think the last jedi is as bad as everyone says it is because like there's that great scene at the end of the movie where you see a little kid and he's a normal kid and he's able to make a broom move with his force powers and to me that's star wars it is a kid looking up at the sky and thinking of something greater and that he can become someone greater that's to me what the whole thing's about but it's apparently it's not it's about turns out ray is related to person or whatever I, the movie doesn't make any sense there's a scene where a chimp has a welding mask and is making something and that was the best part of the whole movie i don't know the whole thing's kind of a mess which we can get into because apparently there was this giant leak online if you're tired of me saying a bunch of things about star wars if you're gonna make people upset because <laughs> i'm sure people are going to disagree with me because they all have their reasons or whatever about why it's actually not stupid that it's a 50s diner in Star Wars for some reason, or why it isn't stupid that all the technology in the prequels is far more advanced than any of the technology in literally any other Star Wars movie. But no, it's dumb that there's porgs or whatever. I don't know. But yeah, so there was this big leak that you actually sent me this. I was not really privy to it, but you sent me this. I sent it to you like yesterday too. Like I only found out. Like... <laughs> you don't have to lift up the curtain that much, Melvin. For all they know, this is leaks we uncovered. <laughs> With our inside, with our <laughs> uncle that works at, you know, Star Wars. But yeah, you sent me this. So there, there is a uh, subreddit where people just complain about the new Star Wars movie, which I know what you're thinking. Isn't that just all of Reddit? Waka waka. <laughs> but there's a specific one where people just like badmouth the new Star Wars movies. And a user by the name of Ego Shop with two P's in shop uh, posted... And he says that he has a uh, anonymous source. What is this, Melvin? Always take stuff like this with a grain of salt, but that's never fun. So let's just act like it's all real. He basically puts out this thing. He says, hey, I had a friend who worked on The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> yeah. I have this friend that not only worked on it, but like, like was pretty closely connected to the entire production. And just to put that into perspective, yes, that does exist. There are people who are just connected to the whole thing. It's not just working for a company that did the CG and because they did the CG, they only saw a couple of scenes. Like there are a lot of people that just are, you know, connected with a lot of uh, longtime people. And and the particular thing that caused this leaker to want to reach out is because that individual said like I did not feel comfortable with the treatment that a particular person that I liked received now you might be thinking that's kelly marie tran but it's not as the leak continues you start to realize that this person felt that jj abrams was actually mistreated during the production of the rise of skywalker and uh just as an aside i actually do know someone that works in the industry so here, here's a little pep talk for anybody my i know somebody who got their start fetching coffee on the set of a jeff bridges movie and they now are a special effects artist that works on like big films. So, hey, just get in the industry, intern somewhere. But like they were like talking to uh, a friend of mine over dinner. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm working on a new project. And like, oh, what are you working on? And they're like, oh, Wonder Woman 2. <laughs> like they just do special effects for that. Their um, spouse is a body double for a very famous person in Hollywood. So like these people do exist is what I'm saying. Like there are people who because think about it. Think of how many people work on movies, like thousands and thousands, and thousands of people. Chances are those people have friends, they have family members, they have people they talk to. These things do get out. No, I'm not going to leak anything on this podcast. Uh, I mean, or maybe I am. Please keep listening. <laughs> so let's just get started. I'm going to start at the top. And Melvin, if you feel like interjecting, feel free to interject. I will also add my comments as we go along. So here it is. 
since shortly after the release weekend, I've been corresponding with someone who worked closely on the production of The Rise of Skywalker and works for one of the major companies I cannot disclose here. I have verified the source to my satisfaction. To protect the source, I am reworking what we spoke about over the last two weeks and submitting it to you in bullet point format. I've written based solely on what they told me. The too long didn't read is that they were upset with the final product of The Rise of Skywalker and wanted to share the perspective on how it went down and where it went wrong. Bullet point one. The leakers of For the Rise of Skywalker has had an agenda and are tied to Disney directly. So uh, my money is on Kevin Feige. That's a dumb joke. That would actually be really crazy. I Like if this was Feige. Because <laughs> think about it. I mean, Feige is like the only guy who like, it seems like he's the only one in Disney that like we constantly hear about and is pretty level-headed. And he just seems like a guy who genuinely loves what he's doing and isn't really worried about the money. I'm sure by now people have labeled me as some sort of like MCU fanboy or something. But I do contend <laughs> that the thing that keeps the MCU running is just him and the fact that they have entrusted one person who has a very clear idea of what they want and they call the shots. And just because the movies keep making money, they just kind of leave them alone, which I think the main thing I'm sure that these leaks will get into is I think the big problem with Star Wars is that it's this it's a lot like DC in that they've beholden to, you know, outrage culture or the internet, and they just keep trying to course correct over and over again. So, not spoilers. Uh, my source confessed the agenda as well as as well in that they struggle with ignoring what's been happening to someone who they think doesn't deserve it. And then here we go. JJ always treated everyone on and off set with respect. So my source's agenda is that what Disney has done to JJ and how much they screwed him over should be something people are at least aware of, whether you like him as a filmmaker or not. Fair enough. Disney was one of the studios who were in that bad robot bidding war last year. Disney never had much interest in bad robot as a company, but they did in JJ because they saw Warner Brothers, who JJ went with in the end, as a major threat. Do you have any background on the bad robot stuff? Honestly, I have just very vague memories. I just remember that I know that there's a lot. There's constant rumors that JJ Abrams would do Star would do stars would do Superman. Partially, like his son is a comic book writer. And like the idea is that so basically they bought Bad Robot and they're basically have had a multi-picture deal with J.J. Abrams now. This is again, this is getting off topic, but I think J.J. Abrams would actually be a great director for Superman. I again, same thing with Zack Snyder, because I maintain that Zack Snyder has a great visual idea for Superman. I just think there needs to be someone else writing. I think Grant Morrison or Jeff Johns or J. Michael uh, Straczynski, that I pronounced the name, would be great. But yeah, that's pretty much all I remember about the Bad Robot deal. JJ is very successful at bringing franchises back like Mission Impossible, Star Trek, and Star Wars. WB is struggling with DC, and aside from Wonder Woman, DC is still seen as a bit of a joke in its current state by the uh, general audience. I mean, I thought Shazam was all right. And Joker did it really well. Uh, WB wants Abrams for some DC projects, like what we're talking about. My source said that this generation's Star Wars is the MCU, and Marvel's biggest threat is a, is a well-operational DC they want to keep DC in the limbo that they're in right now. Abrams jumpstarting that franchise is something like a successful audience-pleasing Superman movie makes them nervous. Their goal is to make JJ look bad to potential investors, shareholders. Um, I'm not even sure how I feel about that. Okay, there's a part of me that doesn't like this narrative that Disney is just trying to like sabotage other studios. But at the same time, uh, the another rumor about Disney is that they're purposely like the whole thing with negotiating for Spider-Man was that they're if Sony failed and like was bought out by someone else, they would automatically get the rights to Spider-Man back. So there's some thought that their whole like hardline bidding was just to like get Sony to go under basically. So who knows? Maybe that is uh, Disney's thing. I mean, I don't know, Melvin. Do you think Disney is like literally out to just destroy the studios? No, I, I, may, I mean, I don't think it's that i think it's like they wouldn't mind if like okay this stopped but also like 
it is good if DC excels because if DC excels, the genre of superheroes are increased. Like the, the general air of interest goes up and then people are watching more movies like that. Like I was setting up the trailer talk, like to put, figure out what, what movie should be in the, the title. Uh, Cause I picked three movies out of the six or so trailers we cover. And so I picked the ones with the most views and it was black widow and wonder woman had the two highest view count and then Mulan at the end. And so, like, why why would they want Wonder Woman or Joker or any of those movies to do poorly? They don't. Like, if Joker does well, good. Now Marvel can think, hey, do we want to maybe not so serious or dark or or content heavy, but do we want to like deconstruct a villain and think about that? Like, the thing is, is and I'll get this order wrong, but the reason you had Batman versus Superman and Cap. Captain America Civil War so close was because they basically saw one of the companies saw that the other company greenlit a project where basically their heroes were going to fight each other. And because they saw that that was happening and they were like, hey, DC's feeling comfortable doing this, though, so we can do this. They did that. Like, not only does that help each other, the online discussion was constantly about this or that. Now, the irony, we could, we're not going to go into this, but that was also happening during the election time. So like everybody was all trying to fight each other. But the, the idea being that when one team does well, so does the other. So like, I don't think Disney's out of its way to, to undermine anybody that's doing superhero movies that aren't theirs. I do think there is an air of competition because, you know, why not? Like, that's kind of fun. Like you want to be like Marvel, the MCU wants to do better than the DCU. That's fine. And I'm sure the DCU does too. Like that's how investors work. But I think like from an audience perspective, we should not be so privy to be interested in seeing Marvel overtake DC. What we should really be like is, Hey, I just want to watch a good movie. I think there is something to be said for the idea that the MCU might've ascended past the point of being seen as like a superhero movie. And the MCU might be almost its own genre at this point. Yeah. So I think that, that is something to be to consider. And I don't know. I, I think we are seeing a period where maybe there just isn't as much room at the box office for big event films. So, I mean, I'm sure there's always going to be some sort of competition. Continuing back onto the bullet points. My source mentioned this shortly after the premiere. The Rise of Skywalker we saw last night was not the Rise of Skywalker we thought we worked on. Ooh. JJ was de- devastated and blindsided by this. He's been feeling down over the last six months because of some of the ridiculous demands Disney had that changed his movie story while the scenes were shot a lot of the changes were made in post-production and the audio was re-recorded and altered moisture said they've never seen anything like this happen before he's a director and he wasn't in the know about what they were doing behind his back uh i mean that's that kind of thing i don't know i think people have this sort of skewed view of like how much like the director is involved in post-production Granted, it's there have been. I mean, there were cases where like directors were literally locked out of the editing room. Like that's what happened with Josh Trank, Fantastic Four. But yeah, I was just thinking that. Bullet point: JJ was brought back by Iger, not Kathleen Kennedy. Disney insisted on more fan service, less controversy. Uh, JJ's original agreement when he signed on was indicating that he would have way more creative control than he did on The Force Awakens. It became evident this wasn't the case only a couple of weeks into shooting when the trouble with meddling started. Uh, JJ wanted to do some scenes he thought were important, but Disney shut it down, citing budgetary reasons. May 19th, uh, not May, May 2019, sorry. JJ argued that those scenes were crucial. He had to let go of one of the scenes. The other scenes he insisted on was approved at first, but he did research and additional photography in July. The ending that will blow your mind, 
was a part of this. Older actors were included, like Hayden Christensen, Ewan McGregor, and Samuel L. Jackson. And anyone who wasn't animated, the Force ghosts weren't meant to be voices because they shot that footage on camera. The actors were in costumes. Ray was supposed to be surrounded by the Force ghosts to serve as sort of a barrier between her and the Sith surrounding them. Uh, a little context, and this is a spoiler for uh, Rise of Skywalker. Uh, one of the scenes, I actually like this scene in the movie because this is the most fan service scene there is. Uh, when Ray is about to fight back against uh, Pal- Palpy, uh, there's a scene where like all of the Jedi before you know, like just like go into her, and it's actually like they include like characters from Rebels and um, the Clone Wars cartoons. So Ashoka, or however pronounce her name, is in there. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr.'s character from Rebels is there, and like all of the different jedi are there and it's interesting because a makes all the cartoons of canon but apparently those characters are all supposed to physically appear which would have been awesome going back to the bullet points my source thinks that but can't 100 confirm that this is because of wait for it melvin china <laughs> it's an office talk of sorts some vfx people claim they got a list of approved shades of blue they could use in the luke force ghosts cutting this out was when the bad blood turned into a nightmare for jj because the movie he was making was suddenly unrecognizable to him in almost every way for those who don't know, like the the concept of ghosts is pretty taboo in other cultures and things like that. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of cultural sensitivity that needs to be taken into account. It's just tricky. It's tricky navigating culture. It's tricky navigating like how we can make things as accessible for the people as possible. And I don't think, like I said, there's there's nothing wrong with trying to make your movie as palatable to many people as possible. It's just this like difficulty of like, oh, we think we're doing something that's good. Oh, actually, this is actually creating more barriers than we thought it was. So the blue thing that you talked about, like the shades of blue is really interesting as though to say like certain shades of blue look more ghosty and other shades of blue look more like a, a lens flare. <laughs> like it's funny to think that Force Ghost had to be like, I don't know, like Kian as opposed to like sky blue just to make it more passable in China. I think that's a little funny. One thing I think that, again, to like, this isn't like, oh, those darn people from other cultures just don't get it. Part of this is, I don't think most people realize just how pervasive American culture is everywhere else, where like America has very much defined what movies look like and what movie stars look like. And for years and years and years, Hollywood pumped out movies starring white actors. And like, this is what a movie star looks like. There was this whole thing with like The Wall. Um, and people were like, why is Matt Damon cast this movie about China? And like, that was a purposeful decision by like the Chinese production company, because when people from other, when people in so many other countries think, oh, what's a movie star look like? They think back to American movies and who's starring these movies, white actors. Tom Cruise is huge in Japan still. I was over in Japan uh, not too long ago and I was watching a game show and the prize was you got to talk to Tom Cruise. That's not a joke. That was the actual prize of the show was you get to have a conversation with him. And then um, uh, another episode, you get to talk to Dakota Fanning. Like America has created this like thing where like because America for so long has predominantly started like white, you know, Anglo-Saxon looking actors, your, 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 uh, Sylvester Stallone's, your Arnold Schwarzenegger looking, Matt Damon, Tom Cruise. Think of a movie star. Chances are they're a white guy. So they've like sent this message to us the world of like, this is what big Hollywood glitz and glamour looks like. This is what an actor is. This is what a movie star is like. Well, guess what? Like now, like maybe if you spent all those years, if casting were like diverse actors, you wouldn't have this problem. We're now like, we want to like cast diverse actors because that's what people want now. You know, we, people want strong female leads. They want like, they want to see Hispanic people. They want to see you know, African-American actors. Oh, wait, we spent years convincing the rest of the world that movie stars are white. Oh, no. So like, there you go. There's your problem. So 
that on top of the other issues we've talked about is just this dangerous cocktail. So it's the common criticism of like in video games, they're like, please don't put politics in my video games or like in movies, please don't put politics in my MCU movies. But like the reality is, is that like entertainment contributes to like systematic thought processes. And so like what you just described, which is absolutely true. Like Tom Cruise is not really, I don't think that popular here anymore. Well, Mission Impossible really did a lot. Sure. But he's hugely popular. <laughs> popular like all over and like like in europe i think like he's still stupid popular in europe i don't know much of anybody in like in my circle so i'll start there that like really cares about tom cruise but if you were to go like to another country like people still freaking like him and yeah that's fine like that's great but like that contributes to like an idea that like like you said a movie star a popular this or that has to look like this so when we've mentioned previously we're like ike perlmutter is saying things like you can't star a woman in the lead role of an mcu movie or you can't star a minority or someone who just isn't white in a lead role like in a way he's saying something that is partially true it doesn't mean it's good or right But what he's saying was like, we have for centuries since the like creation of film have only casted this type of person, this stereotype, and it's transitioned into this is just how it is. And that's not a good thing. (laughs) It should not be how it is. It just is how it is. And so that's why you have this transition to like, well, we want to do new things. We want to have more female-led movies. We want to have more just non-white movies. And I think that's a good thing. But like to ignore that and say like, don't make my movies political is like, it's just, that's just not true. (laughs) Like it, it it is the first mistake of engaging any sort of medium. Like, do you think people read books and say, don't make my books political, but then they're like, oh yeah, To Kill a Mockingbird is my favorite book. Like, <laughs> do you know what you just said? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. The idea of not making Star Wars political is like insanely like hilarious, where it's just like, George Lucas was literally invoking Nazi imagery. He's invoking Nazi imagery. <laughs> he's he's talking about weapons of mass destruction. He's making comparisons between like the people who like take care of themselves versus people who are like in league with the Empire. Like that is an incredibly political film. <laughs> hey hey, listen, everyone, everyone, it's a movie about a rebellion against a horrible like dictators like imperialistic government. Like that's the movie. <laughs> That's not that's not subtext. That's text, man. And even the prequels, even the prequels are written during a time of like, wait, we just can't trust even a republic to handle itself. Oh, well, this yeah. is how a republic handles itself by yeah. doing shady stuff. And, and a republic that's supposed to be a government and then letting like an independent public sector run its own thing. And and yeah, okay, episode one is boring and it doesn't make sense, but episode one is entirely about like government secretly influencing the public sector and the public sector combating the government. Like that's, that is a political film. One of the prequels was directly inspired by 9-11 and like Bush's response to 9-11, right? Like there's a whole thing where like the whole like, oh, this is so this democracy dies with thunderous applause. Like that was directly like in response to like when... Bush was like announcing that they're going to have war in Iraq or something like that. Or maybe that maybe that's just art, life imitating art or something. But like these movies are very political in nature. So I don't know what movie, that's the thing. Like, I don't know what movie do people think they're watching? Like, do they really just not like connect like rebellion, like Republic, like what? Like, just like, is it just, is it just like a wire not connecting somewhere? I don't understand. 
it's kind of like how people are like, oh, gaming. I'm tired of games being political, but like every game they put, like every first person shooter is like a war game about like a government fighting another government. <laughs> Like not political, fighting like tyranny, like fighting in wars, spec ops the line. But you put a woman in a game, it's political. Or even Halo. Like Halo is entirely about like going up against like a a religious monarchy that is so <laughs> like hell bent on their religion, despite the fact that like what they're going after isn't true and it's actually detrimental to like the existence of the entire universe. And then not only that, if you're playing as Master Chief, you were abducted as a child <laughs> and you were put into like a war camp. Yeah, and child, so like child soldiers. <laughs> you know, what's political about that? Yeah. Like unless you're only playing like Super Smash Brothers, like I don't understand like like well, a- even okay, we're we're going off on this one, and I'm going to make it very brief. But even Super Smash Brothers isn't political, but it's like philosophical. Sakurai making the Super Smash Brothers video games has not wanted to make them like since the first one. Like he made the first one and was like, I want to be done because that's that's his way of working on projects. Kirby, he wanted to be a one off thing, and then it was like, nope, you got to make more Kirby, and he's like, okay, fine. But every subsequent like main story, especially in Melee, it, or not Melee especially in Super Smash Brothers Brawl is about like I want to do more but everyone like critiques me for making something that's for children and I want to go more. I mean the final boss of that game is called Taboo. Like <laughs> the entire thing like these things exist and they have much more like and that one is definitely subtext because the gameplay is the gameplay the gameplay. You don't need to know what the story is to know what it's all about. I mean goodness, Taboo is turning everything into toys. Like that's the entire thing of that storyline. So look, these things exist. There are things going on. Star Wars is incredible incredibly political and always has been the last jedi like ryan johnson is really good at doing like subtle political stuff even if the last jedi just sometimes doesn't make any sense so of course of course the rise of skywalker is influenced by the fact that they're trying to hit the chinese market it makes complete sense i tied it back in we're back on track <laughs> all right getting back to whatever it is we're talking about all right bullet point uh <laughs> My source knows JJ well enough to know that he's just not the yelling type. What a guy. But apparently in a meeting, he yelled something along the lines of, why don't you just put directed written by Lucasfilm then? My source wasn't present for that exchange, but knows some who were. My friend heard, my friend heard. Uh, Disney demanded they shoot some scenes that would have things in it for merchandise. That sounds like Disney. Uh, They Fly Now is one of them. It's also JJ's least favorite scene. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that is, I, but my first thought when I saw that scene was, that's a toy. At a November screening of a two-hour, 37-minute cut, he cringed, groaned, and laughed when the scene was on. Can I just say that I'm so disappointed we're never going to get like an authentic background to this film? Like When you watch like some of the back making of for episode one, like you just get a really interesting story of a man that just no one said no to. Like... You're seeing everyone's scared of George Lucas because he's the first guy to like, <laughs> like make the biggest blockbuster. Like Jaws was huge. And then like a couple of years later, Star Wars is even bigger. Like Star Wars was that big. And so when he's like, I'm going to do another movie, nobody says no to this guy. And then you watch episode one and you're constantly thinking like, why didn't someone stop him? Like this is a man that needed to be stopped. <laughs> And so like now we're like, we'll never get that again because Disney will never show like their cards and say like, this is where we've made mistakes. That's what, that's what makes this one. There was that Iger interview like a year ago where like he actually like, like it's a very short interview, which is such a bummer, but it's Iger talking about like, yeah, there were some mistakes. The buck stops with me. Like all of that is so much more interesting than like, I don't know. I, 
I'm just disappointed that like we Abrams will probably have like an NDA that lasts like 2000 years. And so we'll <laughs> never get to hear about this. It's almost as bad as um as that uh John Malkovich movie we're never going to see. Like oh, yeah. it's it's something that's only going to exist far in the future when these are written in diaries that are that are found like next to the Dead Sea Scrolls and no one can read <laughs> them. We're only going to have transcripts. I don't know. It's just such a bummer. Maybe we'll get a lot more like maybe there'll be tons of anonymous leaks or whatever. Like we're getting now. Like I would love that. No, we just need someone outright to break the NDA and like yeah. Reddit will then pay for like the fine. <laughs> like let's just let's just be real here. Reddit, put put your money where your mouth is. Like pay for somebody to just come out and say, like, this is what happened. Getting back to this, my source says that JJ was most likely not joking when he said, You're right, in the interview where they asked him about the rise of Skywalker criticism. JJ's original early November cut was three hours, two minutes long. And can't say I'm upset about that. Uh, in January, JJ suggested that they turn this into two films. My source told me this well before Terrio mentioned it in an interview a couple days ago. When Disney said no, JJ was content with making his three hours long. Over a period of nine months, JJ started realizing that one by one, his ideas and whole scenes were being thrown out the window or entirely altered by people who have, quote, no business meddling with the creatives. They were not on the same page when it came to creative decisions, and it became obvious that Disney had an agenda in addition to wanting to please shareholders. Disney could, quote, afford messing up nine for the sake of the bigger picture. The cut JJ eventually and hesitantly agreed to in early December was two hours and 37 minutes long. It wasn't the cut we saw, which we wouldn't have approved of, and which is two hours, 22 minutes long, apart from the Force Ghosts. There were other crucial and emotional scenes missing. The cut they released looked chopped and taped back together with weak scotch tape. Quote from J.J. Abrams himself, apparently, which you would agree with. Yep. The movie opened with Ray's training. Her first scene with Rose was shortly after Ray damaged BB-8 during the training. Rose made a silly joke about how Poe was going to kill her for damaging BB-8. There was a moment where Ray looked, took a minute to process what just happened when we saw that vision during training. She looked distressed and worried. The next scene was noise as the Falcon was landing and Ray runs over there. Those two women who kissed at the end were visible in this shot and they were holding hands. One of them ran towards the Falcon as it landed. We'll get to that. Don't worry, folks. Kylo on Mustafar. Mustafar. I don't know words. Scene was two minutes longer. There was a moment where Kylo seemed a bit dizzy and his vision was shown as blurry for a second, almost as if time half stopped while everyone in the background was slow-mo fighting. Kylo hears Vader's breathing, then shakes his head and time goes back to moving at a normal pace, and he jumps right back into the battle. The scene from the trailer where he knocked the guy down, which did end up in the movie later, is the scene that we're talking about, the one with the lightsaber that everyone's worried he's going to cut himself on because it's so awkwardly shaped. They cut some of the scenes from the Lightspeed Skipping segment. Some of the plants that were cut were Kashyyyk, Naboo, and Kamino. What a clever way to call back to the prequels and not do it. That's a neat (laughs) scene, yeah. So I like fan service as long as it's not distracting and as long as it serves some sort of purpose or if it's like a background detail just for the fans. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I'm totally for just like, I mean, it's already seen where people are jumping to different places. Why not throw some fun cameos in there? The scene where the TIE fighters are chasing them through the iceberg. Those corridors were inspired by a video game JJ used to play in the nineties called rebel assault Two. third level in the game with the tunnels of Endor specifically. I'm sure five people listening to this <laughs> just got a good, good uh, chuckle out of that. Uh, Jenna was conferred to be Lando's daughter. That's something. Can we just talk about like the importance of why you can't cut certain things out, especially in an Abrams film that's so like layered? Because it was cut out, I've heard some people be like, um, 
what was Lando supposed to be saying to this woman that is so much younger than him? Yeah. Like, especially knowing that Lando, like, canonically is um, a womanizer. It was like, it was awkward to see him kind of like get close to somebody that like, yeah, was barely in the movie. And like, this is why it's so important that like, if you're going to cut something out in a movie, you end up cutting a whole line. Like there are many movies that are much longer than their 90 minute runtime. And during editing, directors just have to make decisions like, you know what, if I want it to like sell well, and then I also want to work on this project in the future, I have to think about what I'm going to take out. And so they just, they just do that. But when they do that, they realize they're taking out more than one scene. They might have to take out six other scenes that call back to something. Yeah. I mean, if this is to be believed, um, in which this makes a lot of sense to me, this feels like, okay, we can't cut this scene because we really want this character to appear in the future. We're like, okay, if we make movies, all right, Lando's daughter, that's a good character to have. You know, it's a connection to the old Star Wars and it's like, it's a strong female character. Like, let's keep this character. And then someone was like, but isn't it weird? Like the scene without any context. And then someone else was like, oh, let's just keep it. Cause like franchise building, that, like, that's what this really feels like to me. Cause it's like, otherwise, why not? Yeah. Why not just cut the whole scene? Why not just cut the character entirely? Because it, without this context, it's just weird in a movie. that's already pretty long. Weird. Weird. Ray, getting back to this, Ray not only healed Kylo's face scar, but she killed Kylo when she healed Ben. Kylo ceased to exist when Ray healed him. My source mentioned that some people assume it was Han Solo who healed him, but that isn't true, and that wasn't Han Solo. Uh, that was Leia using her own memories as well as Ben's to create a physical manifestation, manifestation of his own thoughts to nudge him towards what he needed to do. That was her own way of communicating that with him. And it wasn't possible without her dying in the process. She made the ultimate sacrifice for her son, and this flew over people's heads with the Disney cut. I mean, I watched it, and I thought, because the film just doesn't make sense, I'm like, is he a force ghost now? Does that exist now? Um, but then also, I was like, probably not. This is probably like supposed to be a creative scene where we're like seeing something that Kylo is just... Like, it's just because movies can do this. It's a creative way of showing Kylo reconciling his sin. Yeah. Like, that's fine. But because it's a Star Wars movie, things like that just don't happen. Star Wars <laughs> yeah. has a reason for virtually everything. And unfortunately, many of the reasons are really dumb. Yeah. So it's just it just doesn't work. And it, and it continues to feed the idea that like, yeah, the, the movie is a patchwork. And unfortunately, because of... Uh, Carrie Fisher's death. I think a lot of people just assumed like oh, this is awkward because they didn't film all our scenes or something. So that like you need to like make it like things like this very clear because I mean that was my thought. My thought was like oh this is them writing her out of the movie because Carrie Fisher passed away while they were filming this movie. Like that was my interpretation <laughs> of the scene was they got to figure out a way to get Carrie Fisher out of the movie because they filmed scenes with her and they wanted to keep him. So yeah, that's just a mess. The late November cut, getting back to the list, the last cut J.J. approved of had scenes with Rose and Ray still. J.J. wanted to give her a more meaningful arc. Disney felt that that was too risky, too. My source mentioned that Chris Terrio said that it was because of the Leia scenes, but this is only partially true because she had four other scenes, including two with Ray Daisy that Leia was not in. I mean, I think for a little bit of context, like the one of the big controversies coming out of Star Wars is that Rose, despite being a hugely prominent character, the previous film, her runtime is like less than two minutes in the movie, which I know some people are happy about because they just didn't like her in The Last Jedi, which is its own discussion. But like, it is weird that a character who was essentially like a co-lead in the last movie is just suddenly completely 
like basically a cameo in this one. Um, so apparently J.J. Abrams is pushing to have her more in the movie while Disney felt this was too risky because of the whole Last Jedi backlash. So Finn wanting to tell Rey something was always meant to be for sensitivity. In the three-hour cut, it's explicitly stated. There was a moment where when Jana and he were running on top of that Star Destroyer and Finn needed to unlock or move something and he force moved it and acted surprised when it happened. This was replaced with a CGI BB-8 fixing whatever he needed to fix on there. You and I talked about this earlier where there's this weird scene where Finn is like, Ray, I need to tell you something because they think they're dying. They're in like quicksand and then they survive. And Ray was like, what do you want to tell me? And he's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> it's never brought up again. And it's very puzzling in the film. It's just so strange. And everyone's just like, well, that was weird. So apparently it was supposed to be that he was force sensitive. So that's something. Babu Frick was nearly cut because some execs at Disney thought he would be the new Jar Jar. Uh, Babu, Babu Frick is like a hacker, little alien dude. Uh, they are really surprised that people loved him this much. He was JJ's idea and was created in collaboration with some artists and puppeteers. The personality was all JJ. Why did they think it wouldn't work? It's literally the one thing everybody liked. I, this is the thing. This is the problem with film filmmaking by committee. It's just it, they're just trying to do movie math. They're trying to sit there and be like, okay, people don't like this CGI character. So clearly they won't like this CGI character. And it's regardless of anything actually involved in the movie or characterization or looking at like people's actual natural reaction it's just broad strokes people like dark and gritty from dark knight let's do that with superman people like interconnected stuff mcu let's do that with everything there's no thought to like axle execution getting, getting back to this very long list <laughs> uh there were a bunch of scenes where ray and kylo separately went through quiet moments of reflection to deal with what they were going through on her part she was going through the realization that there's something sinister about her past he was going through regret and remorse, but trying to shut it out. My source said that the Kylo scenes were especially amazing because of Adam's driver's performance. Now he managed to portray the inner turmoil. I can believe that. Uh, it provided much more context and added deeper meaning to both his battle with Rey and the final redemption arc at the end. It didn't happen so suddenly, and it was more structured than what we got. I'm always like hesitant when people say, like, oh, this cut scene, amazing. Best scene in the movie. You don't see it because it's like, a, there's an added thing where people enjoy things more because they have a sense that they're getting to see some secret thing that we can't. But I mean, I believe the idea that Adam Driver is a good actor. It's just this whole thing of like, hey, this thing you didn't see is a masterpiece. I'm always a little wary of that. Uh, the Kylo Ray scene where he dies was at least four minutes longer with more dialogue. Spoilers. Uh, ben was always supposed to die. Source also added that if he wasn't, then that might have been in an earlier draft, which they haven't read. <laughs> great great info uh the first draft they read included lando the first few didn't the Raylo kiss and ben's death was not part of the reshoots it was part of the re-editing even the cut that jj thought was coming out earlier this month had a longer version of the scene than what was shown in the theatrical cut yeah the theatrical cut is kind of laughable it's like it's just bad i don't know i don't know if you felt that way too but i was i mean cat was asleep so she couldn't tell me anything <laughs> but like she couldn't share her thoughts on it but like for me i remember watching i was like this this doesn't feel right like nobody's talking to each other and i feel like they they would be talking to each other right now especially then like they kiss and i'm like that's awkward like they have these are the most chaste looking actors in this movie acting ridiculously chaste because like the last Jedi, there was definitely romantic tension in the rise of Skywalker. These characters could not look interested, like could not look any less more interested, any less more. 
whatever. <laughs> These characters could not look interested in each other at all. Like they, they look like they're just irritated and tired. <laughs> like, like they want to go to the bar or something yeah. and just hang out instead of shoot this movie. The thing with leaks like this, I mean, I'm doubt there's ever going to be a way to verify any of this information. Um, but you kind of fall into two camps. Either these are wild rumors someone's making up in order to fill gaps of a movie they saw and didn't like, or it's accurate. But either way, these leaks so far do kind of fit like a narrative that would explain. Because like, I think even the most generous review of The Rise of Skywalker would have to admit that the movie moves at a real quick clip. And things are brought up and they're dropped or like someone gets a MacGuffin and then as soon as it's used up, it's never mentioned again. Like things happen so quickly. Characters get kidnapped and then they're rescued like two scenes later. Characters seemingly die and they're resurrected. Like these things just keep happening in the movie. And it reading this, it makes sense. Like, like there's whole sequences where characters just takes a moment to themselves and just breathe. And these are cut from the movie. So, I mean, even if it doesn't, even if it's not true, I could see why someone would believe that these things are true because man, does it feel like things just happen with no real rhyme or reason? You know, like you said, like there's really not a lot of scenes in this movie to establish a romantic relationship between these characters and then boom, they're kissing. So getting back to it, JJ was not happy with where the last Jedi took the story. The final results is a mix of that story and the story told by Disney and whoever they tried to impress. Certainly not the fans, says unsourced quote. J.J. is gutted over the final result. Star Wars means a lot to him. He had to sacrifice large chunks of the story of The Force Awakens, who was promised more creative control in The Rise of Skywalker. Instead, the leash they put on was only tightened as time went by. A source said that this is the one franchise and the one piece of his work that he didn't want to mess up, and instead it turned into his worst nightmare. When he found out that he was blindsided with a cut they presented... He said, what the F? When Kylo was fighting the Knights of Ren at the end and the Williams, the music that it was used for, it was not what he wanted at all. He seemed to think it was out of place. JJ's cut still exists and will quote always exist. We most likely will never see it unless someone accidentally leaks it. I mean, that's getting into like, you know, standard cut kind of territory where like these things like the standard cut exists in the sense that like all the footage was shot. The question is just how finished is the footage? Did like, is it edited? Did they do all the special effects? Did it go through all the post-production? Is the music there? You know, is the, you know, did the ADR everything correctly? I wouldn't get my hopes up about some JJ cut ever coming out to be just to squash that right now. Just please don't get your hopes up. It's just, I doubt that will ever happen. And the larger thing is I doubt someone like Disney or Warner Brothers for that matter will like openly admit defeat that way. What's interesting, at least, is like Disney won't because Disney can afford to never do that. Like, yes, we we have the box office results for Rise of Skywalker open right now. And like it's it's going to probably hit a billion. I don't think it's going to be as like much as they think it could have been when they think about when they purchased Star Wars. But when they put that into perspective of how Star Wars is looking right now, they're probably comfortable with like, we'll do a billion, whatever. We'll take a break and then we'll come back later. Yeah. But like the Snyder cut, I mean, there's like. Um, I don't really care for it. I, it's not going to be a good movie anyway, because like we all saw Batman versus Superman. I'm sure some of us have seen Watchmen, unfortunately. And Man of Steel is like a nightmare. It's like a fever nightmare where you're like, I just can't wake up and I wake up and I'm stuck and I'm just watching people just explode. And so the Snyder Cut's not going to be much better. That said, I do think I've heard like, it's going to be something that will be on their Warner Brothers new streaming service that like that'll be one of the big things that they get people to sign up for. And out of morbid curiosity, I'll probably watch it just because like Justice League already is just a bad movie. So why not watch like a, 
a more fun bad version of it. But yeah, as far as like cuts are concerned, like this will never happen. Like the idea of it getting leaked, it sounds like, yeah, Abrams's version, at least the 230-38 length one, that probably exists and was finished. And so that could probably exist and get leaked, so to speak. Yeah, or at least included as like deleted scenes or something. I think the real thing for me is like, do I even care to see it? Yeah, I mean. And like, not really. Because like, if that version exists, it's not considered canon. Yeah. So who cares? Uh, There is actually one final tidbit here. Uh, The leaker added an edit. He said he forgot one thing. The source asked about Finn Poe after seeing Oscar Isaac's comment about how Disney didn't want that to be a thing. This is true. JJ fought to make this happen. This is why Oscar is blaming Disney. It's not just a random throwaway comment. He knows for a fact that it was Disney because of these discussions happened. The main cast is insanely close to JJ and are just as upset, though seemingly more outspoken about it than JJ. During The Force Awakens, Disney was hesitant to hire John Boyega because a woman was front and center, so they deemed that risky enough. So bringing in a male lead who's black made them nervous. Uh... Great, great look, Disney. Uh, JJ fought to make that happen for about nine months before getting approval. The same issue came up when JJ fought to have Finn and Poe in The Rise of Skywalker. We lost that battle as he lost many creative battles in this film. Many people, JJ included, came to the realization during this production that the story really is told by shareholders and investors instead of the creatives or anyone at Disney specifically. He tried to make a lot of things happen and was shut down because of this. They had him on a leash and many blamed The Last Jedi for the stricter creative approach. Yeah, I think that's like a perfect time. The perfect time. I mean, if you're with us still, you're probably trusting that uh, we're pretty level-headed. Um, uh, or at the very least, very tired and making a big big mistake. But um, this is a big deal. I mean, the fact that like this is something that Disney... I mean, Disney made the decision not to put it in. And yet, it was a big thing for the many actors. J.J. Abrams, who directed, wrote and directed it. And then ultimately, you could even say Kathleen Kennedy, who was probably, at the very least, pushing a more progressive Star Wars, which is fair enough. There's certain degrees where that's fine. But they still, they were pushing for a Finn-Poe relationship. And this is like a romantic relationship we're talking about. Let's just not, we're not going to go around the bush. We're just going to be frank. Like they were, there was a push for a romantic Finn-Poe relationship. And then also in the final cut of the film, we still have a scene where two women are embracing each other with a kiss. And there is an important reason for us to talk about this as Christians. And something that Dan and I, before we got together for this, had been saying was like, we wanted to talk about this because in many groups that we're in, many Christian Facebook groups, and I'm sure other other groups too, there's very confused talk about things like this, as well as some pretty nasty words being said. And so we're going to make the daring decision to talk about this a little bit. And Lord willing, we will not partake in contributing very negative and nasty thoughts about these problematic issues. Yeah. I So I don't know if it's because, for those who don't know, I work an overnight job. So I'm by the time we get to recording, I've been awake for a very long time. And this is one of those cases where our recording has run long. <laughs> so I don't know if it's just because I am so sleep deprived. But I'm just going to come out and say... I don't think anyone's romantic relationship in this particular trilogy would have made any sort of sense. <laughs> like Finn and Poe are like, don't even share screen time for the most of the movies. So I think a majority of that relationship is inferred from fan fiction and just like the brief scenes they have together. A relationship between them would be just as natural as a relationship between anybody in the movie. So, you know, we bag on the Ray Kylo relationship, but like the only difference between that and this one is like fans just wanted this one. To me, this is more an issue of, uh, 
I know a lot of people criticize every studio for quote unquote not listening to their fans whenever they do anything. When Disney didn't make the extended universe canon, that's Disney not listening to the fans. When Disney makes seemingly any discussion, any decision, that's not listening to the fans because there's always going to be a subsection of fans somewhere that doesn't get what they want. That's just how it is. In this instance, however, this is something that I saw a large majority of people, Star Wars fans, particularly asking for. And J.J. Abrams wanted it. And the actors wanted it. And Disney said no. And why did they say no? Well, let's look at this other issue. So there was, in Star Wars, brace yourselves. Uh, stand up because you'll jump out of your seat when I tell you. Uh, make sure your wig is fully attached to your head because it's going to blow. There was a one-second same-sex kiss in Star Wars. So brief, in fact, that people I know who saw the movie did not even know what happened because they were unaware of the, of the controversy beforehand. And it is between two characters who are not in the movie, basically. I uh, did not recognize them when they embraced each other upon this seeing this film. And the moment I saw it, everyone collectively said, this is dumb for two reasons. People who want this type of thing are looking for representation. They're looking for people, like we said earlier, they want to look on the screen and see people that look and act and sound like them on screen. And, you know, there is a very large queer audience that enjoys science fiction films. Disney is not thinking about them as much as they want to pretend to be progressive and much as they want to pretend to be inclusive. Disney does not like these people. It does not care about these people. Disney likes money. And unfortunately, most of the, a large portion of the world, I should say, I want to say most of the world, but a large portion of the world is not okay with this. As we speak, Bangladesh has edited out this scene when the movie is shown. And it'll, I'm sure it'll be edited out of the Chinese release and the Russian release and other countries where these things are far more taboo than they are here. And it was shot intentionally this way. It is a cutaway scene. Like you could probably with iMovie edit this scene out and you wouldn't even notice it. It is shot and put in intentionally so they can completely cut it out of the movie without I worry about it. A... Finn Poe relationship, not so much. That would be far trickier and far too difficult to navigate, so they just cut it. This is not a decision made for moral reasons. This is a decision made for monetary reasons. Disney likes money and they don't want to have to they don't want to worry about jeopardizing their Chinese box office, their Korean box office, their Bangladesh box office, the Russian box office, any other box office in any other country that is more conservative in its viewpoints. It's it's almost a non-issue. And this, that's the thing that's so puzzling about this compared to the other thing we want to talk about is this particular controversy is almost a non-controversy, but other than it makes everyone upset. People who you know do not want to see these types of things in movies are upset because it's there. People who want these things in types of movies are upset because it's barely there. I don't know. That's, that is my thought. It's, it's hard for me to even kind of care other than to just roll my eyes at cynical Disney who like every other corporation decided that they were, you know, progressive as soon as like society decided that it was on board with that. Cause if Disney really was progressive, they've been doing this in the nineties or eighties during the AIDS epidemic or at a time where it would have counted for something as opposed to just going with the tide. I kind of agree. I do think it's sort of like a non-issue or um, to quote uh, one of our favorite YouTubers, a non-troversy. Yeah. <laughs> it is just like, there is no controversy here. It's really just nothing. And that's because like, like you said, like the decision for no Finn Poe was primarily for money. Um, it is not a moral decision. This isn't Disney doing something that because they're like, we love families. Like, <laughs> Disney is not a family company. It is a company that needs to make money. And they're fully focused on doing things that make money. They're just really good at doing it subtly if you're not particularly good at figuring it out. Like where we love movies. And so we know all about this stuff because it's not just watching the movie that entertains us. Sometimes the most entertaining stuff is the stuff behind the movie. And there are plenty of movies that that's the case. And it's not even a scene where it's just like, 
silhouetted or put in a way where this is positive. It's just the thing that's distressing about this whole thing to me is art is going to imitate the time period that it's in. You can find like you can study a culture's entire history about the art that they make. And we're just living in a time where we are coming to a place where societies become more accepting of alternative lifestyles of homosexuals of people who are transgender and these things are just gonna be reflected in the art that people make because that's where society is at and so like rather than become upset that those things are there i think maybe it's time for christians to start sitting down and like talking with their children if it makes them upset or something i don't know well it's it's the idea of like if if something like this is going to be happening christians need to be we need to be apt and prepared to say like if we don't agree with this we need to say how and why we need to be confident in the reasons that we say it it's not something like we cannot repeat christianity of 40 years ago that basically was like oh there's these bad things happening well the bible just says don't do it we're going to leave it there like that's a good place to start when it comes to acting on things like if the bible says don't do something don't do it fact good but it's also important to know like, well, why is the Lord saying that? And as you're engaging the Lord to understand like, why does he say like, we don't live a certain lifestyle? Why does he say, for instance, we don't steal? Like, good, don't steal. That's where you start. Now learn why not? Well, because there's an importance of property. There's an importance of what the Lord has provided for you and an importance of what the Lord has provided for them. When you steal, you're saying, Lord, you provided something for me, but I'm not okay with it. So I'm going to steal this other person's thing even though you provided that for them. Like you'll start to find that there's a lot more to the things that the Lord tells you to do and asks for you to do. And it all starts to click and make sense, Lord willing. And so like, this is a case where like, I'm, I'm on the fence of like, I'm not on the fence at all. <laughs> the thing is when something that's bad from the Lord's standard is happening and it's portrayed as something that should be good. And so that's when like, there's something like, yeah, you're right. This is a non-traversy. This is something that like it's put in for a split second because in other countries they can take it out. They don't really care about different types of people and the struggles they have. And so to me, when I saw that scene, like I was both parts like that's not really a good thing, but also it doesn't matter because to Disney's perspective, it doesn't really matter to them either. So I, that's just kind of where I land when it comes to like that scene and why it happens. Cause I hate the word even using it as a scene. Cause it's not, it's a cutaway. It's like a vine. Yeah. It's less than a vine. Vines are five seconds. And this is like a second. This is a GIF. So we just finished talking about star Wars and we just finished talking about a particular thing at the end, which is kind of a big deal. I mean, the fact that culturally people just wanted Finn Poe and Disney said, no, we're not going to do it because we like money more. And then also still by the end of The Rise of Skywalker decided to have a less than one second female and female kiss that obviously has garnered some reactions primarily negative. However, there is something a, a lot worse that has been put out. We're going to quote unquote pregame this discussion. The way we're going to talk about this is with patience and we're going to talk about it in a in a way that hopefully is non-provocative. Because there is a discussion to be had here. And again, just like with the previous discussion about Star Wars, this has been something where I think people have been, in a way, appropriately, vehemently been angry about this, but also have been saying some very nasty things. And it's and it's led to a discussion that me and Dan feel like is important to have. So that's why I'm going to say it that way. The second thing is that this particular film that has come out is bad. Like, uh, neither of us have watched it. There was a question of like, do we feel like we sh we should for the sake of discussing it here? And I landed on the side that like, no, like the discussion to be had is before even pressing the play button. I think, Daniel, you agree? Yeah. I mean, for me, 
I, you know, I thought about, cause I, I have a thing where I don't feel comfortable necessarily criticizing talking about movies unless I see them, because I think a lot gets lost in, you know, the outrage cycle and whatever. And until you see things in con, like anyone can take something out of context and make it look really bad. Uh, I read a plot description online and <laughs> I mean, I was like, well, that's enough for me. And for me, it was more a thing of like, if you're really upset about something, vote with your dollars. You know, I am not subscribed to Netflix more just because I've been bombing out for other people for so long. But also, like, I didn't want to give them the place. You know, that's what they want is if you're being provocative, you're being provocative because you want to get people's attention. And so if, when you don't give them their attention, then they'll probably stop being provocative. That was kind of my feeling on it. And it's just... I have said before on this podcast, I have a pretty strong stomach for all kinds of content. And unsurprisingly, given my particular religious persuasion, uh, the one area that I do have, I guess, very sensitive feelings towards is in things that touch upon like depictions of Christ and that sort of thing. And so like, honestly, reading the plot description just kind of made me upset already. So I figured watching it would just make me even angrier. So I was not interested. And so the particular film we're talking about, I believe, is titled The First Temptation of Christ. Which is obviously invoking uh, Scorsese's other film that was pretty, uh, just a bad choice. Uh, the first, uh, sorry, The Last Temptation of Christ. And so everything about this movie is from the get-go bad. And I think that's something that is really important for us to be talking about is at what point do you know, like, when is a bad idea a bad idea? And I think that's that's the discussion we kind of decided is like, when is a bad idea a bad idea? When it is when is it okay to just say I'm not going to watch that? Like it's just a fact. I'm not going to watch it because I'd be contributing my money, my time and everything. And then also, uh for me, the most interesting thing is like by not watching it, I'm not just outright getting angry at what? Sinners? Like for sinning? Like it's not healthy for me to just get angry at sinners for sinning. Like there is a point in which righteous anger, anger is appropriate, but I don't even enjoy watching people do dumb things and then going, haha, you're stupid. Why would I want to watch something that outright provokes my anger just to what? Be angry? I don't like being angry. So, I mean, so yeah. So the context is this is a Brazilian sketch comedy group who they exist. Brazil, for those who do not know, is majority Catholic. And then there's a growing evangelical uh, subset. Uh, Brazil currently has what? The media is dubbed a very right-wing conservative leader. I say that because I don't know anything about Brazilian politics, and I can pretend like I do. So apparently, they're just in a area where they feel, I guess, repressed in some way. So they have 16 million YouTube followers. And last year, they made a hangover-type parody featuring Jesus in The Last Supper. So then they decided to up the ante this year, and they made a film where uh, Jesus is portrayed as being gay and having a boyfriend. And there's a lot of other stuff that happens in it. We're not going to get into that. If you're curious, you can look up for yourself. I don't recommend it. It's pretty stomach churning and also just groan inducing. It's filled with a lot of like lowbrow humor that like would get cut from South Park. And interestingly enough, I was actually read reviews and several people said this movie is very homophobic of all things. They were like the portrayal of, of gay people in this is very stereotypical from like the 70s or something. There was questions about whether or not in you know, Brazil is just not where we are at in terms of that kind of thing. There's also things that make poke fun at other religions too, because if you're going to be playing the mud, why not get real dirty? But the question sort of is just like, okay, why is this so offensive for me? And like, and why is this something that I don't particularly want to watch? There's been a lot of interviews about, and so they interviewed one of the people talking about it and his whole defense was like, well, this is just satire, you know, and people, they're only upset because of the gay thing. The backlash is homophobic, you know, First off, satire requires like a clarity of like purpose and an actual target. This is just 
lowbrow humor. Like, I read the plot. There is nothing they're satirizing. Like, it's just sort of aimless provocation, which I can see why that's really enticing if you're maybe 15 years old. But like, (laughs) there's really no kind of point to this. It's just sort of like, let's see how far we can push the envelope, which some people think has value in and of itself. I would disagree. And I have I have my own thoughts of satire that I might get into later, but like this is obviously bad. Like we don't have to sit here and explain to you why this is offensive. But there are some people who probably are wondering, well, what's the big deal? For me, it's just more a thing of like the whole gay Jesus thing about this, that's window dressing. That's almost beside what the problem is here. Um the for me, the problem is when you get into a place where you start assigning attributes to, to God that he does not have. This is simply put like a creating a like a completely fudged up like wrong view of who god is like i would have similar thoughts if a movie had jesus who was like a bumbling oaf or jesus was really sarcastic and bitter and mean like i think when you get into portrayals of jesus like that is something that like you just have to tread very lightly with and i know this touches upon a larger issue where there's all controversy about like what technically violates second commandment what like is what depictions of jesus are we allowed to make and i'm not going to solve that issue here today but i think a basic thing is there's a certain level of reverence that jesus is owed because of who he is he is god and i think like once you get into an area where you decide to start recreating god in a way that maybe amuses you i think that's where you get into blasphemy because the problem is and this is where i will give people who are strong wholly to the second commandment thing their due is the problem is when people start making depictions of god or jesus whether whatever creative medium it is whether it's writing poetry art filmmaking what happens is as human beings, you naturally start trying to craft God into who you want him to be. Like it is just our natural inclination. We all have an idea of who God is. And so when we start making something, our own views and morals and things start getting reflected in that. And so ultimately though, what do you have at the end? What do you call that? A false idol. That is a false depiction of Jesus. That is not who he is. What you've done is created God in your own image. And no matter how good your intentions are, I think people are naturally going to falter. And some people might be who know me might be surprised to hear that from me because I actually have a fascination with Jesus is depicted in film and in literature because I think it reveals and says a lot about the people making it. And I think that's an interesting view of where they are at spiritually. And I think it also speaks a lot to the power of Jesus that so many people for so many years uh, try and like, try and understand him and, and and marvel at who he is but the problem is that like regardless of intentions that doesn't change how sinful or wrong something is and where this this particular thing really eats at me is i'm going to compare it compare it to a show many people have probably forgotten about the show is called black jesus do you remember this show melvin aired on adult swim i remember it's like a yeah i was gonna say it's an adult swim and it was like three four years ago it actually had a recent season this past year believe it or not which i didn't even know about till i briefly checked on it till this so black jesus has run into this a lot of same problems that this does which is it has jesus doing things jesus would not do and therefore it is bad and blasphemous etc however and this is this was a show created by aaron mcgruber who did boondocks both the cartoon strip and the television show the difference here is that what the show is doing is like okay what if jesus is black and existed today and, you know, showed him in the hood and doing all these things. And he has like friends who are like gangsters and all that stuff. But what they were trying to do is there is a, is a very sincere attempt to actually have satire and actually make points about things. Like there's, you know, Jesus deals with racism. Jesus calls out prosperity preachers, preying on the people who are of lower income and poor. It shows Jesus, you know, spending time with the less desirable society. And like, what would, what would it look like if Jesus had 12 disciples, but it was today? Who would those 12 disciples be in this common era? And there was an actual attempt to try and make some points or try and explore something. 
And so where the first temptation completely misses the mark for me more than almost anything is that this is this aimless, sad attempt from people who just do not know the Lord and they do not understand him at all. And I fear they may never will because they view him as someone to be mocked. And there isn't this genuine attempt to try and understand and reconcile something about their own religion. Like say what you will about the last, uh, the last temptation, but you get a sense that Martin Scorsese has feelings like of some kind in regards to who Jesus is. And there's maybe a sense he's working something out. Like dogma is a very stupid movie, but Kevin Smith will say that that movie was just him working through his own Catholic faith. And so there is something there where like, there's almost this, like hard to articulate cries of the heart, just trying to find God in their own way. Here, this is just, it's a joke that like a dumb middle schooler would tell who is an edgy, like internet atheist and his parents keep trying to make him go to church. So he's mad at him. It's just, there's just something so profoundly sad about this whole thing. Like we started, like there's, why would you watch this? Like, there's no reason to watch this, let alone, why would you make this? Like, there is a hateful heart behind this that's making it. And like you said, like there is an immaturity to it that just outright says like foolishness. Like this is something you could go to Proverbs and find plenty of verses that just say like, don't talk to fools. Don't talk to fools. Stop talking to fools. Say your piece and move on. So um, two things that need to be mentioned. I'm sure there's going to people who listen to this and they're going to talk about like, oh, well, like, you know, don't they have a right to free speech? Don't they have a right to whatever, you know? Also, hasn't Christianity been on top for very long? This is this is classic example of punching up in comedy. Um, to that, I say like, well, I mean, freedom of speech means I can also sit there and be like, I don't like this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that that same right. I I don't think these people should be legally not allowed to to make whatever films they want. I I'm not saying that. I am expressing my sadness that they just you know forgive the father they know not what they do. They have no idea what they're talking about and they're ignorant of the things of God. So I don't know if necessarily they're, they, I don't know if I would necessarily say that they are angry towards God so much as they just see him as just another, you know, Jesus is just one God among many that they can mock. Uh, I wish no ill will towards these people. I want to make it very clear. Um, there actually has been a firebombing against their studio, uh, a far right group in Brazil, whose name is what, what a mouthful popular nationalist insurgency command of a large Brazilian intergrailist family uh, took a responsibility for it. One of the suspects has been ID'd. Unfortunately, no one was hurt, which, you know, is good. And I would say that I, you know, that's not something that I condone whatsoever. And I'm assuming Melvin also does not condone. Yeah. If somebody does something you don't like, you don't go and hurt them. Yes. <laughs> that's just not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> and to be very clear, like, I I know I voiced almost ambivalence towards the you know same sex kiss in Star Wars, and part of the difference there is that I think there's there's something to be said for just people people who are creative and they're making something their worldviews are going to come out in that and so like when people who do not you know know the Lord or maybe their view of the Lord is skewed or they simply do you know see the world differently than I that's going to show up in the things they make and so I I am not necessarily made upset when I watch a film and it espouses viewpoints that may be contrary to mine you know this is a targeted spear towards the heart of the thing that i hold dear and i know that some people i'm sure that when they hear melvin and i lament these things uh where someone is mocking jesus so much are like oh you know i want you just go a thicker spine but just like so this to us is everything 
this is what we believe. This is the thing that guides our life. This is the thing that like defines our morality, our sense of purpose, like who we are as human beings is wrapped up in this. I'm sure everyone has something like that. And I'm sure if you were to watch something that was directly like targeted at what you believe and literally his whole purpose is to say, isn't this stupid? I'm sure that would like make you feel a certain way. And so like, yeah. And there's like a difference between satire that's sort of playing things up. Like, um, I don't think every episode of Lutheran satire on YouTube is good. Sometimes they're cringy because I always find Christian humor cringy. As do I. But like some, that's good satire because it's really not targeting people. Sometimes it is. And that's when it's like, this is bad. That's the difficulty of, of anything, actually. Pretty much anything you do has the risk of you sinning. <laughs> that's just the age we live in, unfortunately. But that's why you need Christ. Yeah. But the difference between satire and like being mean is like, Say I'm making a joke about my wife when it's like, oh, you didn't have a pun for that. Like my wife has puns for everything. She is super punny. And that's awesome. And I love that. And by saying that, I'm not really taking her down. We're just having banter. And it's not really satire, I guess. But like the idea is it's a joke that's not really at the expense of a feeling. Now, obviously, she could if she was in a really, really bad mood, like, yeah, I wouldn't make that joke. But that's the idea. But if I just said something like, like, Catherine, your hair looks horrible. Like, that's me saying something really nasty to my wife. And that's a completely different thing to, like, just making a joke like, Catherine, you really fell short on this whole pun thing. Like, come on. Like, those are totally different. And this is the this is the difference between, like, like, someone is making fun of and saying things that are not true and been saying them in a nasty way about my best friend, which is Christ. He he literally died for me and I've never met him before, but he knows me. And in that way, I've met him as I've gotten to know him through scripture, as I've gotten to know him through the way he speaks through my friends and the way that I, he reaches out to me when I pray for him. And so it's just a completely different thing for someone to just outright, like, just, just bully this guy that like does not to d- deserve to be bullied. Jesus has done nothing wrong ever. Why would you bully him? <laughs> There's no reason for it. I think you're making an interesting distinction where like I am totally 110% okay with people satirizing Christian culture. Like Life of Brian, for example, is a satirization of like fervent, like religious belief. I'm fine with people taking shots at Christians and the things the church does because certainly many horrible things have been done in the name of the church. And if anything, there are certain areas of Christian culture that I think need to be criticized more. Like Pure Flicks. Like Pure Flicks. <laughs> yeah, bad, bad Christian movies, bad Christian music the people who use Christianity as a way to mask their own like prejudices, you know, uh, the fact that American culture is, has been very dominated by Christian thinking for so long. I mean, that's naturally going to breed a lot of great satire or needed criticism. I think, you know, the people who follow Christ are fallible human beings who are imperfect and they're going to make mistakes. And in some cases do horrible, horrible things. I mean, every single president of the United States has professed to be a Christian, for example, I'm sure the United States has done a, th- a thing or two, that people are upset about um, and, you know, well-deserved. It's just, it's just, I just don't like when people misrepresent God <laughs> like, to, to, to make a very simple point. Like I, I think it's bad. And the only good that can come of it is hopefully if people are willing to have a real conversation about who God really is. Yeah. I think, yeah. I don't know how many different ways you can say that this is bad. That said, I don't think there's I don't think there is not room for comedy in Christianity. I don't think there's is not room for like pointed criticism at times. I just think this is just worthless. I just don't think there's any value in it. I think it's bad comedy. 
it's tired comedy. I was reading some of the things that happen in it. The whole thing's 45 minutes. Most reviews compared it to just a long YouTube video. It's apparently it's homophobic. It's just bad to everyone. And I just, this, this has, as art, this has no value. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Monthly Movie News on Cinematic Doctrine. Hopefully you had a good time listening to it. We had a lot of fun making it. If you'd like to get caught up with everything on Cinematic Doctrine, you can head on over to the website at syndoc.com. That is C-I-N-D-O-C dot com. And check everything we have to offer, as well as get connected to our social media. We have an active Facebook page sharing fun movie-related content and news, as well as a Facebook group where you can interact with like-minded Christians about movies. If you'd like to support the show, you can always head on over to Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can influence the show by voting on a movie I review at the end of each month. If you'd like to support the show and save your money, you can also leave a review on your respective podcast app. Or, you know, don't do any of those things. That's fine, too. We're just glad you're here. If you'd like to follow Daniel on Twitter, you can find him at TomRonda1, that's an H after the R. And a special shout-out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom and Dad. You're the best. All of this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.